welcome to the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, a podcast all about board games, board games, and the people who love them, hosted today by two people. How many people we got, Tom? Two. 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 Was that, My name's you, Quint- it seemed like you wanted stop, more from me. Stop, okay, yeah, okay. Stop talking. My name's Quinton Smith, and I'm joined by... Am I allowed to... Can I? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Tom. 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 Tom Brewster. Tom the Tom yeah. Brewster. Yes. Uh, Tom, you haven't asked how I am today. How are you today, Quinn? I'm sad. Oh, I'm sad. Why I'm depressed. Is that? I've been depressed all week. England was like, "Ooh, we're gonna give you a little bit of spring because it's March," and then England went psych out. Actually, it's gonna be grey skies and freezing weather for like a week. So, just something about waking up and the the sky outside is like the opposite of light in terms of its like color and what it's doing. <laughs> It's just, it's like being in a black and white film. Mm. It's freezing. I thought you're the kind of sort of like sad boy that would kind of quite enjoy being in, in that sort of like, you know, frozen British weather, walking down by the beach and, and, and being sad. Is that not, I thought that was you, your vibe. You know, Tom, you do know me quite well. I, so where I live in Brighton in England, it's kind of a tourist summer town. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the summer, the town is just heaving with people going to um, the deeply mediocre beach that we have. <laughs> um, and which I love that Shut Up and Sit Down people on our videos have commented being like, this is the worst. I've ne-. I think someone from South America commented that they didn't know that beaches could look so bleak. But I am a <laughs> member of Brighton's residency who believes that they, like the beach in winter is kind of cool because yeah. you walk along it and you feel really blue and you kind of luxuriate in your own misery and the but wind week- is kind of crazy as well so if you're wearing sort of some kind yeah. of thing that can blow in the breeze my goodness what a what yeah, a moment yeah yeah full harry dubois energy um but uh i don't know yeah it's none of my techniques are working for me none of my curling up in bed with a book and you know playing you know rain sound effect dot mp3 like this is just isn't working for <laughs> wait hold on you're playing rain you? sound effect dot mp3 when it is literally raining outside I, yeah you're I doubling double down rain, double rain whoa Look, we've been like let's not fixate on my misery or how you're doing no. let's talk about the board games that we've got coming up today because uh one of them's good but which one the people at home will find out. On this podcast, we're going to be talking about La Famiglia, The Great Mafia War, a big, complicated box that is a four-player-only team game where two players representing Sicilian mafia families will be taking on two players representing Sicilian mafia families. <laughs> um, then I'm going to be talking a bit about the new role-playing game I've started, Masks, A New Generation, um, which is a game of teen superheroes. And we don't usually cover RPGs very often in Shut Up, Sit Down, but recently... Um, the videos we do on RPGs have been um, doing as well or even outperforming our board game coverage. So uh, I need no more incentive than that to, to lose myself <laughs> in a fantasy world of my own imagination. And Tom, you're going to be talking a bit about Star Wars, the deck building game, right? A Star Wars board game. Tom, this sounds exciting. Should I be excited? Kinda. Uh, it, it's it's all right. Oh, that's that's a spoiler though, isn't it? Really, if I were to tell the <laughs> listeners at home well, what I think. No, okay, ready. that means that either La Famiglia or Masks is a game we like. Oh. So which is it going to be? It's mm. uh, it's Masks. Wait, hold on. Is, oh yeah. no. Oh. <laughs> So La Famiglia, The Great Mafia War, which is designed by Maximilian Maria Thiel and with art from Weberson Santiago, who you may know from games such as The Bloody Inn and that gorgeous Brazilian edition of Coup. Uh, they've got together with Capstone Games and Foyerland to create a 2v2 area control mafia-based team game, the premise of which got me and Quinn's both quite hot under the collar. We were like, oh, 
2v2 team games about being the mafia. The cover on this thing shows two Italian men on a moped with a baseball bat driving away from a barn that is on fire. And I was looking at it's that cover. It's great. It, there's so much oh. empty space on that cover. It's really, it's one of my favorite covers I've seen in a while. It's beautiful. And like, generally speaking, you have said often, Quinns, on Shut Up and Sit Down, that we want more team games. We want more games where a team gets pit against another team. There's something great about it. You get kind of all dimensions of board game in one go. But without burying the lead, uh, we're probably not going to suggest that people rush out and buy copies of La Famiglia, The Great Mafia War anytime soon. Uh, we played this. We played this just last night, hot off the press, and weren't dramatically impressed. But there's still a lot of interesting stuff going on, so that's why we're talking about it. So yeah, you know, now I'm listening to you uh, sort of point out that we didn't like it. I, I feel quite clearly. I didn't have too bad of a time because I, I have an instinct to leap to its defense. Um, <laughs> there were things like La Famiglia. I would say is crunchy. If you like crunchy games, it was. I was always thinking really quite a lot about my move. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some funny turns. Um, and it did feel excruciatingly tense. I'll give it that. I'll give it that for a, a war game. That is, that's a strong, I didn't feel it was that tense. I guess we'll get into that when we when we talk, talk about what this game is on a more, I was going to use the word holistic there. Is that the right word? I don't know. You went to university. On a more if, if holistic level. No, they didn't Great. teach you that. Uh, so, so what you're actually doing in this game is pretty abstract. Um, in front of you, you've got a board representing Sicily on the south of Italy, and it's divided up into individual regions, with those individual regions being made up of three smaller territories. Controlling one of those big, lumpy regions means that you have to have pieces in two out of the three territories in that region. And if you control five regions on your own, or your team controls six regions at any point, not any point, at the end of a round, you win the game. And at the start of the game, both teams have their cubes in their individual family colors. We had red, yellow, green, and blue. How exciting. Strewn across the map. Uh, They're all kind of interspersed so that nobody has a sort of lump of troops in one place. You've got this multicolored map of Italy, as well as some neutral pieces in there, here and there. The rounds of the game are made up of two sort of major phases, a planning phase and an encounter phase. In the planning phase, you're going to be sort of choosing what you're going to be doing with these sort of worker placement spaces. And then the encounter phase, you're going to resolve a load of orders that you're going to put face down on the board that basically represent your mafia doing bad mafia stuff. Which um, I've just realized now, um, Shut Up and Sit Down was quite hot, uh, medium hot, I would say, uh, on a game called Battle for Rock Again, in which players took turns assigning secret face-down orders to the board, which was in an, in itself inspired by the Game of Thrones board game, which mm. is where you put face-down orders, which was itself inspired by diplomacy. Um, so if you like a bit of that, it's a cool little mechanic, and it's in it's in La Famiglia, but it's, it's here... And it's worse in this edition than <laughs> yeah. those other games. That's that's pretty accurate. And it also, I think it represents a smaller part of the game. Like, this is a two-phase game, ostensibly. You have the planning and then you have the encounter phase. But really, the planning phase where you do sort of this worker placement game is most of it. Um, what you're going to do here is you place these little uh, tokens down on this sort of weird grid of actions that will let you do things like 
earn money or uh, upgrade your personal player board so that you have better access to other actions. Maybe it'll let you recruit dudes from the church and they'll go into your little headquarters. Or maybe you can put those people onto the board so that you have more of a presence in certain regions. And one of the orders or one of the spaces will let you place those order tiles that we talked about. And then in the encounter phase, you flip them all at once and you resolve them. And this is where most of the game's pushing and shoving and attacking and defending comes, where you will charge your troops into enemy territory and you'll do this quite strange combat mini game that I'm not going to explain all of, but there's a very funny rule in this game where at the end of a, at the sort of at the start of a combat, you have the choice of whether you want to go in with brute force or finesse. And if you choose finesse, you do this strange bluffing card game where you take a hand of cards and you play cards in front of you and your opponent can choose to take them or not and maybe call your bluff. And that's complicated and strange and might go either way. Or you can use brute force, which kills two of your guys straight away, but then you don't have to do the whole dance of that little card game. It is, it's very funny to have an involved mechanic that players don't know how they feel about, and then you teach the rule, if you just don't want to... <laughs> speak this, Tom. If you don't want to f*** with this, you can just eliminate two of your precious soldiers and bypass a whole game mechanic. <laughs> which is like, I don't know, there's not a great deal of confidence in, in that particular bit of your game if you're like, you, you can do this cool thing. But if you don't want to, then you can sacrifice strategic advantage to bypass a mechanic we invented? I don't know. I kind of like it. I like that it gives you that choice. And I like that it puts a lot of stock into like, it makes combat incredibly deterministic if you want it to be. But then you can be sneaky and play that bluffing game, which I will caveat, none of us were necessarily that impressed by that bluffing game itself. Um, you found it that there wasn't much like there's no way you can really read your opponent, so it might as well be a dice roll. And I also did feel somewhat that this game might be better served with some dice rolls in a few places rather than the mechanics that did exist in it. Um, anyway, I'll put a cap on that teach by basically saying that's kind of the whole game. You have a planning phase, you have an encounter phase. At the end of an encounter phase, you check who controls those individual regions, and if you've reached the limit, then you win. You do this for four rounds. So in theory, I thought that might actually be quite quick. We only do four rounds of this, but in reality, they do stretch on pretty long. This was a sort of whole evening affair. And yeah, I, it's a, I kind of, I'm in the same place as you where... We weren't that keen on this game, but I kind of want to defend it just because of what it is or what it represents. And also because of the the lovely art. Um, oh. And yeah, it's nice. Uh, so on the one hand, it's it, it does have some lovable features. You know, it's got this gorgeous art. It's a team game, which is kind of sexy. Um, it's got cars, which we just kept giggling about how they were implemented. Because, oh, yeah. Oh, I don't know. Like, so there's a one of the worker placement spaces enables you to get a car and you put a tiny wooden car in a region of Sicily um, and the car can drive into battle with you and, you know, plow someone over as you invade a region. Um, but also cars can be used as car bombs. And if you kind of spec into car bombs, they are just, we found that like you're playing, in all other aspects of the game, you're playing a game that is so subtle and cautious and spooky and tense. And then a car bomb is just, I mean, credit where it's due. It feels like a car bomb. Right. Terrifying. But it also means that within the fiction of the game, if the family next door gets a car, you are shitting yourself because, <laughs> because that car might explode at any moment. And it just, and it can eliminate an entire family worth of mafiosos and just completely shred your board state. Um, yeah. I also liked the speedboats. Um, you can have little wooden speedboats as well and ride speedboats around the coast of Sicily, which... I don't know, theme, color. It was it was just nice to have a little wooden speedboat. And Did I, I liked, buy any of them? 
no, but it was nice to have the option. And I liked as well how there were these little control tiles that we had uh, per each team, where if you control a region, you get kind of a benefit ostensibly from that region which might be like now you can you have a little car factory that produces your car every round now you can like bribe officials and like grease the palms of people in charge to get more sort of you know like uh, a, uh, get like a leg up in the planning phase there's lots of like lovely bits of theme there but i do think that like the car bombing that you talked about and pushing these <laughs> you know machines of of war into these territories and like troops amassing on borders. When this game says it is like La Famiglia, the great mafia war, at times it genuinely feels like a, a World War II game where you're pushing yeah. like, you know, I was thinking that at the start of the game, you have like maybe two or three pieces on each space. I was thinking it'd be like a, a small game of, you know, sort of like tense little miniature scuffles. But by the end, even with that sort of, you know, card game that you could do where you can bluff or even brute forcing, Two units is so small in the face of a car bomb that kills like seven people in one turn. <laughs> it, it's funny, isn't it? Yeah, I think we all expected something a bit more like Godfather when mm. what actually happened was your friend Luke built up 14 dudes in one province of Sicily and then they just poured over the border like a, like a you know the the mongol hordes or something yeah. and just annihilate it's it's not it's not it's it's more like a war game than it is a mafia game and more than a more than a war game, it is functionally a worker placement game. Right. Um, I, I think, you know, it's it's funny because you t teaching this game took easily 45 minutes to an hour. Very complicated, lots of little fussy bits and pieces. But I realized as you were teaching it, I can summarize it as like, it is it is a worker placement game, not, but bolted on is, is, a, is a rude, is, you know, is an unsympathetic phrase for me to use. But it is kind of a worker placement game bolted onto an area control war game. And I don't think either half is great and I don't think they're great bolted together. No, I completely agree that like that I I sort of wanted to to invest more in those orders and in those in that sort of the Game of Thrones the board game style part of the game where you flip orders and you're shocked because the person across has done something that you didn't expect. But because of how much is going on in the game outside of that, it's very hard to key into that. And because of how messy and busy the worker placement is, it's also hard to really like get invested in that side of things. So you have these two halves that you can never really like dig into in a way that was like terribly satisfying to me. And I, and I think that also to that point, like you have a continuous thing where there are points of uniqueness in this game. There are wrinkles on the systems. You know, it's worker placement, but, and there's an unusual way that you place workers in this game that we won't get into because it's a bit, you know, complicated and and quite abstract and hard to explain. But there's also like quite a complicated, you know, this is a combat system, but, and there are these twists on these mechanics that to me felt like much more faff than they should be because they're distracting from the core of what you want out of a mafia game, which is this sort of, you know, like, pushing and shoving and like very tense kind of like you know eyeing each other up across the table and even in a team game there wasn't much of that i don't think no it really didn't make the most of uh, of the team mechanic my, my favorite thing in it is that money is so tight in la familia and if you ever run out of money the penalty is just truly abhorrent um so that's and and getting money is hard so i quite liked that but then Really, the, it didn't it didn't factor in our game. But what's lovely is if your teammate ever runs out of money, you can burn a coin to give them a coin, mm. which is horrible. <laughs> but you can do it. Um, so I think, it, like, if I know Capstone, you know they like publishing games with depth. So I would imagine if you get into La Famiglia, you know you would. 
I think you could really, you know, have some fun crunching your brain up against these systems, skirting by in every round with just one coin left, and just to make sure you put the most, you know, attention into recruiting people and getting them on the board and ordering them around. Um, and like I, we keep using the word tense, I think every time it was my turn to take an action in this game, I felt very invested in it. I was invested in what everyone was doing. It has. It feels like a fight and it feels nerve wracking. I just don't know how much I enjoyed it. Yeah, no, I can definitely agree with that. And, and I can also, um, I think that something you said earlier um, about this, this sort of like, about giving coins to your teammate and that kind of like thing and that being part of the team play. I think that there's also an aspect to this game, which is that it's asymmetric. So each individual family has a slightly different spread of upgrades and abilities and orders on their own personal board. But because there's a lot of noise in this game and because the teach takes ages, it's very hard to pinpoint, you know, what each player's kind of like special specialty is, right? Yeah. And I have yeah. a feeling that oh, by the end of the game, I kind of got this idea that like, well, maybe my thing is just to provide a load of money to a family that can then do the killing on my behalf. And that would have been a really interesting dynamic, right? If I just spent mm. my whole game earning, 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 earning. And then even though it was costing me loads of money, shuffling that all over to my teammate who could then go and, you know, get a million dudes to pour into territories and he could be the one that takes a load of territory. But it's so hard to pass. There's so much iconography and there's so many rules to begin with that it will take a long time before you even key into that. And it's again, this sort of halfway house of like, yes, it's a bit asymmetric, but I would have preferred if it was simpler, but more wildly asymmetric or more complicated, but everyone just had exactly the same palette of things to start with. Do you know what I mean? I I agree with that. And maybe let's end by saying the game we kept thinking about while we were playing La Famiglia and talking about um, is how we would kind of probably rather be playing and recommending Crescent Moon by oh, Aspen yeah. Games, which is a game we talked about a while ago, which is in a, I would say, a similar weight to La Famiglia. Um, and similarly, it is a game that you're going to want to play if you're very competitive. You need a at least four, but Crescent Moon does go up to five if you want to play the full complicated crazy game. Um, but Crescent Moon, we found more interesting, more um, more of an interesting theme. We found richer, more thought-provoking. Um, so if you want a crunchy war game that's sort of played in teams um, and seats not just four players, but five players and has a smaller box, um, I would say probably look at Crescent Moon instead. Yeah, for sure. Next up, Tom, I'm going to tell you about my new role-playing game campaign that I've started. Are you ready to hear about my new role-playing game campaign that I've started? I'm quite excited about this because every time you talk about a role-playing game, I get excited about role-playing games and then don't play them. Uh, which is kind of <laughs> actually, okay. it's pretty good to be honest, because it means that I get all the vicarious joy of role-playing without having to spend hours preparing and doing. Well, if, if Critical Role and the birth of uh, actual play series has taught us anything, it's that there are a whole lot of people out there who are interested in the idea of RPGs and want to watch professionals do them, but not actually play them. If you listen to this podcast are one of those people, you're absolutely not alone. Who wants to improvise and, and act and pretend to be a character with their friends? It's awkward and weird, and if you don't want to do that, that's fine. Mm. I, however, am a certified freak and <laughs> can't get enough of this. So the game that I've started playing is called Masks A New Generation, and we wanted something kind of light um, after my campaigns of Spire and Heart, which are oh so bleak. Um, so Masks and New Generation is a role-playing game about teen superheroes. And um, ooh, I don't know really uh, where to start. So we're playing a campaign set in Brighton, my city. And my goodness, it's fun to play a role-playing game that's contemporary where like, it's very fun where fights or emotional scenes are happening on streets that you all know. Mm. Because not only does it all root the players in exactly where the story is happening, but then 
after sessions, you can go and you see the very streets of your city differently. Quite cool. That's very cool. Um, it's nice. Um, but what Masks is, it's funny. I just did a video review of Alice is Missing on the site. And one of the, and I mentioned that I was about to start Masks. And one of the comments was, ugh, Masks. I, me and my friends signed up to play this game because we thought it was going to be cool superheroes punching one another. And the game just kept wanting us to talk about our feelings all the time. <laughs> That's and what I'm you like, love. I'm like, absolutely, can't get enough of this. Yeah, so um, Masks is uh, a game that uses a Powered by the Apocalypse rule set, which is, I won't get into here, but it means that um, it's really about interplayer and interpersonal connection. So rather than all the players, you know, unifying to fight a big threat, um, it's designed so that players can use their skills as easily on each other um, as they do on, you know, villains. Mm. And the thing about teen superheroes and stories about teen superheroes is that they are generally more about growing up and emotional difficulties than they are about, you know, leathering the Joker or whatever. <laughs> um, so for example, an example of all this abstract stuff I'm talking about is that in masks, if you get shot by, I don't know, a laser cannon wielded by a supervillain, um, you use a skill role called take a powerful blow. Mm -hmm. I mean, you use the rules for take a powerful blow to see whether you have to like leave the scene or take a condition like afraid or hurt. Um, Take a powerful blow is also what you roll if another player's character is just really mean to you verbally. <laughs> so like, you know, oh. if you're arguing with, so like if, yeah, I know, right? So let's say your character, you know, has a crush on one of the other superheroes in their party. Um, maybe, you know, you ask them out on a rooftop on a moonlit night after you're celebrating defeating a foe and they turn around and say, I'm sorry, I, I, I just, I'm not attracted to you. I've never been attracted to you. That could have as bad a repercussion for your character as being crushed by a building. Um, which again, like really plays nicely into, you know, um, the 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 analogy of superheroes and what superheroes represent. I love the idea of someone breaking up with you and it immediately just fractures all of your ribs. <laughs> I mean, we've all been there, haven't we, Tom? Um, but no, it's, it's a very peculiar thing to be playing because uh, I would say that it's funny how many things the game doesn't encourage you to roll for. Like, you're, it's a game about being superheroes, right? Like, you know, if you want to defeat, you know, 10 thugs in an alleyway, you can just do that. There's mm. no roll required. But if you want to open up to someone about your feelings, that's a roll and you'll probably fail it. And then you'll probably have to role play someone who's just really angry because they can't <laughs> express their feelings. Um, so in the, in I, the I setting, know. are you like superheroes in the sort of like, you are super powerful ultra beings with laser eyes and super strength? Or are you like vigilantes no it's the former um you are in what in my my setting is kind of bleak um it's that you know it, it's kind of inspired by things like the boys or misfits mm -hmm. if you've seen that um which is that you know there are superheroes and supervillains, but superheroes all want to be government sponsored and work for the council the local council and stuff right because that's the only way you can get the insurance which is going to pay for like collateral damage or you shattering buildings or hurting civilians in the line of duty mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, no, uh, I would, I'm, I'm here to answer questions, Tom. I'm here to answer whatever you have to have to ask about masks and new generation. How much does it provide a setting for you and how much of that was created by you? Because my oh. sort of, my biggest problem with role-playing games when I've tried to play them in the past is that creating an world is such a daunting task, especially because I, I'm bad at using presets i never find them that interesting and i don't want to be sat there reading everything out of a book to the players you want to be engaged so how much of it is is made by masks and how much of it is made by you if that makes sense 
weirdly, uh, despite the fact that I was kind of like talking about this game on a podcast to big it up and get people excited, you have zeroed in on the worst part of masks, <laughs> like with a with a weird critic's like bloodhound sense. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the setting that Masks and New Generation has in the book that it encourages you to play with is called Halcyon City, and it's sort of like very golden age of superheroes, kind of like it's a city full of superheroes and everything's weird and there's, you know, lasers and teleporters mm-hmm, everywhere and dinosaurs run down the street because a villain released them or whatever. Um, and frankly, I find it dull as ditch water. Um, the game gives me no reason to care about it. And immediately I said, I'm going to take everything from masks about like the rules and the setting and the tone. And I'm going to bin everything to do with the uh, the actual world that it encourages you to play with because right. I want to play in my town that I know. <laughs> um, it's funny. I, I, you know, the reason I'm playing it though is that um, the reason I chose to put it in front of my players, and this might be interesting to people who either want to role play or do some role playing, is that I noticed that they the scenes that they found most memorable when we were role playing together were like scenes of great emotional resolution or hurt feelings between their characters. You know, like they didn't so much, you know, care about like defeating a giant bat. Um, the thing, the scenes that really stuck with them, as it should be, is when one character, you know, sacrificed themselves for everybody else, or a character revealed a secret about their past, mm-hmm. and then, or a, or a character started acting out because they were really upset about something. That's when role playing starts to become really chewy, and and like you can cut the atmosphere at the table with a knife. Um, and so the reason I'm putting masks in front of my group is because. I've said this before on Shut Up and Sit Down, I think playing teenagers is like a shortcut to players just getting all their emotions on the table. Yeah. It's a great way to have players be angry and irrational and upset and sad and depressed and excited and I- ignorant. And also, fundamentally, we've all been teenagers. I think, citation needed, I don't know, Tom, I think you've been a teenager, I was a teenager once. Mm. Um, and so it's something that players all have sympathy for and a sense of how to how to construct that that sense of self. And it could also be quite cathartic to return to a little bit of who you were as a teenager. And but not because, like for me, it's deeply uncomfortable, but in acting it out, you realize how normal all of your flaws as a teenager were. And you can forgive yourself a little bit, I think, when you see a table of people who will com- immediately understand why you are the way you are. I guess then, like, maybe my question is, why play masks a game about being superheroes when you could just play a game about being teenagers like obviously recently you talked about alice is missing and how a good a time you had with that but everything you're telling me about masks you know like i don't know what your characters superpowers are i just know that they're kind of sad and randy um <laughs> yeah we, we i mean for the re- like we've got a, oh god we've got a character who uses the moon to control emotions we've got a character who is uh, almost superhumanly beautiful and has a trident but but is also trying to figure out what their deal is because they don't just want to be hot and have a trident. Um, we've got a character who is uh, a journalist and can control the truth. And we've got an alien who is purple. Um, <laughs> That's their superpower. You know, it's a, it's a great question, Tom, um, because I have played games in the past like Tales from the Loop or Monster Hearts, where you play teenagers in a slightly more straightforward way. Um, I think I... It's, it's a bit of carrot and stick. I wanted to say to my players, I want you to all role play having crushes on each other and having her feelings, but I will let you fly and beat up people for free. Like it's a little <laughs> bit, give them just a touch of wish fulfillment. And then, and then like, sort of, it's like sugaring the pill of, um, of I, I want you to all be really upset with each other. Um, also, slight side note, when I was role playing with this particular group, the one really nice bit of feedback I got was that they all really like my villains. Like the big, 
you know, adventure ending villains mm. that were, you know, masterminding the whole plot. And the cool thing about being a superhero is I just get every session I can invent a new villain or bring old villains back. But it's like all the people I have to play are either nobodies or villains, and I'm good at those two things. I'm horrible <laughs> at everything in the middle, but I can be idiots and the worst guy you've ever met in your life. Everything in between is like shades of grey, and, and it's complicated. And I can't but and then and how do the two sides sort of like reconcile with each other? Like how do you have how do you manage to to stick the landing of the tone flip between I am Zorgod and I want to destroy Australia versus like. I again, I'm sad and randy. Like I, <laughs> once again, I found myself in this position. How do you you flip the switch between those those two modes? Like, do you have a sort of like adventure mode versus hanging out at the at the house mode? Um, oh, well, it's, it's funny, you know, because the thing about being a teenager is that you're so self centered that. Um, and I think this is why the analogy, the central analogy of teen superheroes, really works really well. Like, so in our in our first session, we had. Um, uh, they were wait. Basically, they have a they have beepers essentially, and the beepers go off when there's a villain sighted, and then they have mm-hmm. to run off and do their duty. So they, I, we were role playing a scene with them all hanging out at a skate park in costume and just being a bunch of fifteen and sixteen year olds trying to be cool in yeah. Brighton's like coolest skate park. And then some <laughs> people were hitting on them, and they were all trying to like stunt on everybody who was watching them. And then their beeper went off and they had to go and save the day. But trying to be cool in Brighton's coolest, like, teen hangout zone was <laughs> as important to the characters as, like, you know, actually saving a life. Right. Um, and then likewise, when they went and had their first big fight as a team, you know, some of them did better than others. And coming out of that fight, yes, they defeated the villain, but immediately you get catapulted into, like, me asking the player, well, out of the four of you, one of you, the trident-wielding guy, just really screwed up mm. and made a mess. And in their very first fight, completely embarrassed themselves. And that is so heartrending and embarrassing for a teen superhero that that became a more important, well, that almost became a more important plot point than anything that happened during the fight. Right. So it's just a, so in answer to your question, it just flows naturally from um, teen heartache to a fight, which inspires more teen heartache, which makes the next fight more complicated. <laughs> because ultimately, if someone's just told someone else, I don't fancy you, um, then that's They're not going gonna to be good at punching fight. a dude through a wall? Well, you're not going to be as excited to be on a team charging into battle and watching their back. Right. Like if I'm furious with you and embarrassed with myself because I asked you out and you said no, it's going to be within Mask's um, rulings. You know, that might give me the insecure condition. And Mask's doesn't have hit points. It just, and this is the same as in the RPG, Shadow of the Dead, like Torchbearer. Rather than hit points, you have five conditions, which are guilty, hopeless, afraid, insecure, um, and something else. Um, and that's what you get. And only when you trigger all of those do you come the closest within the system to dying. Right. right. Um, so so being insecure is is the equivalent of going into a fight without all of your full hit points. So hope, hopefully the players are going to be nice to each other, but then all the rules mean that they won't be. And all the rules means they're going to be, you know, like sniping at each other and, and just being awful, awful teens. Um, <laughs> it's refreshing so even m- to hear at the end there that like, you know, that you don't have hit points in this game and that like, you know, the fact that you your approach to sort of like combat encounters by the sounds of things is very like, you know, there's probably not much like calculating and dice rolling. It's more like, do you want to kill the goon? The goon is now dead. We talked about this a little last night after our game of La Famiglia where I don't know how we got onto it, but talking about Dungeons and Dragons as being this sort of like this root of this very specific kind of role playing that I'm so glad to hear like that there is less of, uh, or at least you're experiencing things that, that aren't that because I found all of that very daunting and very pointless. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, Dungeons and Dragons has done so much for gaming. Like the roots of everything from, you know, like Final Fantasy to, you know, uh, Skyrim, you know, all of that gets traced back to Dungeons and Dragons. However, the the amount of Dungeons and Dragons DNA that infuses gaming, some of it is really welcome and has inspired some of the greatest games of all time. You know, we don't have Disco Elysium without D&D. Um, but also there are elements of this like Jurassic Dungeons and Dragons DNA that makes no sense. And it's just accepted wisdom. <laughs> Case in point, hit points are the dumbest concept imaginable. <laughs> what? Again, you'd have to beat me, Tom. What the f*** is a hit point? Just oh, think about how stories are told about combat within like, you know, all of the, the entire history of like Western or Eastern culture. Mm. Like, you don't get someone was stabbed and they were halfway to death, but nonetheless fine. When someone gets hurt or stabbed or, you know, whatever, or hit by lightning, mm. that changes how they are then able to operate. It, beca- it should be a narrative or dramatic moment that then changes the story. The fact that in D&D, having one hit point out of 80 means your character is the same as having 80 hit points is so ass backwards for any kind of yeah. either mechanical or narrative design. And yet we just do it because it's how it's done. Dumb as hell. Tom, you, you're gonna you've, you're gonna have to move on to the Star Wars deck building game because I will talk about this stuff for <laughs> three hours. I'll cut you off right here with a with a massive sting, shall I? A massive sting. A massive sting. The final thing we're gonna talk about on this podcast is Star Wars the deck building game from Caleb Grace and Fantasy Flight Games. It's actually going to be a slightly strange end to a podcast because normally we save up the juiciest thing for last, but I actually don't have masses to say about Star Wars, colon, the deck building game, at least not as much as you might have to say about masks. So what this game is, is it's a- Hey, just a suggestion. Why don't you make then this segment more exciting by putting a bed of Star Wars music underneath? Yeah, okay. I'll find some royalty-free Star Wars song and I'll put it in the background. So this is a two-player head-to-head deck-building game uh, that reminds me a lot of, uh, I was going to say Star Wars there, Star Realms. Uh, <laughs> a, if you've played Star Realms, it's sort of this pacey 20 to 30 minute game where you're ultimately trying to reduce the health of your opponent by building a stronger deck than them. And the Star Wars, the deck-building game, is is pretty, pretty similar. Uh, on your turn, you're going to be basically playing your whole hand of cards. You start with a deck of just 10, and you draw a hand of five each turn. You're going to play that whole hand of cards in front of you, And some cards will generate resources. You'll use those to buy new cards. Some will generate attack points that'll do damage to your opponent. And some will generate force that'll pull a little cube towards your side in a track that shows who has the force. And some cards will be like, if you've got the force, you can throw a guy into a building. If you've got a force, you can trash a card from their deck or something like that. Some cards also have effects uh, that you can activate to do these things in like more intense ways. So for example, you might have Jabba the Hutt, who is a card who you can turn sideways and then like buy a load of dudes uh, or something like that. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember what any of the cards do in this game, but you're going to keep doing this, right? You're going to keep- Wait, Do act- you have, is, is like one side dark side and one side light side Correct. or something like that? Yeah, I probably should have said that. It's lightly asymmetric. Uh, where it's, no, heavily asymmetric. One side is, yeah, the light side of the force, one side the dark side of the force. And you could only crucially recruit cards that are from your side. But that's, this is what builds into something that I really, really, really like in this game that I think I haven't really seen that often in deck building games. So the shop in this game is a line of cards that sits between the two players. It shows you all the available things you can buy. Neutral cards are rotated so that they sort of face neither player. Both players can buy them. Empire cards can only be bought by the Empire. Rebel cards can only be bought by the Rebels. However, something that's really interesting is that 
when you attack your opponent, you can either shoot their base directly, and if you destroy three of their bases, you win the game, and they have, like, you know, a little cluster of health. Um, or you can use that card to attack cards that are in the shop. So you can basically say, like, I'm playing the Empire, and I'm like, that guy's Han Solo. He's a piece of shit. <laughs> I'm going to send my guy to go and, you know, bunce him on the head. And then you take <laughs> that card out of the row and put it in the bin, and they can never have that card again. You've just killed him. He's gone. Like, in this version of the Star Wars universe, Han Solo dies in the first, like, five minutes. Um <laughs> Which is like, I think there's something just about this choice that I think kind of touches on a lot of the game in a way that I find like weirdly compelling. I'll sort of say that I didn't necessarily expect that I would like this game. I don't really like Star Wars that much and I don't like Star Realms that much either, but I definitely prefer this to Star Realms and would probably really? recommend this to people who are looking for exactly what this is, a two-player head-to-head deck building game. Um, it, well, actually, I wouldn't recommend it. I'd recommend Undaunted Normandy first, but then they could think about getting the Star Wars deck. So, Undaunted Normandy is so heavy and slow <laughs> and cruel and sad compared to bloody Star Realms. Yeah, no, you're quite right. This is this is a very, like, do you describe to think Star Realms as like a popcorn game? It is, like, this perfectly filled. It's the kind of game that you'll play, like, twice in a row or three times in a row. It's like a 20-minute, bap, 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 you know, you just buzz through it. But anyway, the, the point being is I want to go back to this, this thing that you can do where you can snipe cards out of the row in the middle. I think one of my problems with a lot of the, like, sort of two-player head-to-head deck building games is it takes a while for you to understand that a lot of the strategy hinges on watching what your opponent is adding into their deck and actively countering it. And I think that like new players to these kinds of games can struggle with that revelation. It's not that immediate. It's not the first thing you notice because you're so worried about what you're putting in your own that thinking about what they're doing is something that's, you know, not even in your mind. But by having this constant decision of do you want to hit them or do you want to hit those juicy cards that are sat in the row right in front of you really frames the game around paying attention to what your opponent has and being like, well, so what if they get Han Solo? He doesn't work for their deck. So what if they get Princess Leia? She doesn't work for for them. Uh. And instead being like taking an active role in almost manipulating their deck in real time. And also something very that you can kind of, there's lots of like little strands that then come out of this. So one of the things you can also do is I took a really aggressive policy of just wiping out any card that was useful in that row. And it ended up making it so the shop was just my cards. Like, like my opponent could not buy a single card from the shop because it was just stuffed with all of these like empire cards. And they'd built a deck that was quite economy focused. So couldn't actually take mine out of the row because you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, that's nice. That's nice. I mean, like, oh, good goodness gracious. I mean, the cornerstone of the original deck building game, which is Dominion, is is your opponent focusing on economy and elongating the game and what cards can they afford? Um, and so just even turning that simplest foundation of deck building into a, into a decision and a fight where it's like, oh, you're, you can buy the expensive cards. Well, I'm just going to eliminate the expensive cards from the market. As nice. Mm. It's nice. I like it. Yeah, it's really nice. And there's other, like, there's lots of nice little details in this as well that I think did sell it to me more than, like, a few of the other, like, I sort of groan when I look at licensed games generally, you know, typically the license is doing a lot of the heavy lifting, but here there's, like, a lovely little bit of zhuzh put in the design, um, which you can kind of expect from Fantasy Flight, I suppose. Um, but you have um, bases as well that sit in front of you, and those are the things you need to destroy, three of them to win. Your starting base has no effect, but then every time you blow one up, you can look through your little miniature deck of different bases and choose the next one that comes into play, which gives Ooh. the game a really nice push and pull where, 
you know, you'll get attacked, you'll be a, a point down effectively, but you can retaliate by doing something that's pretty swingy and huge. So the game always feels like there's a really good back and forth to it. Um, and also, you're so vulnerable in this game. Like, you can play hands that will do shed loads of damage, and your bases don't have that much health, so games can close out, like, surprisingly quickly. Um, I don't know, I, I came away from this much more positive than I thought, and, and that's sort of, like, you know, booing me to talk about it here. This um, sounds like real, sort of, like, back to basic. Like, it, Star Realms blew everyone's heads clean off when it came out for just being like, deck building is fun, we all know deck building is fun, and it had arrived at a time when all deck building games were saying, okay, it'll be deck building plus worker placement, or plus a huge board, or plus a war game. Mm. And Star Realms said, what if we made Dominion smaller rather than bigger? Yeah. Um, but this this sounds like a similar kind of design wisdom of being like, you know, Dominion is the daddy and we're just going to take Dominion, but what if Dominion, but you can attack the shop kind of yes. thing? Yes, yeah, that's a, it's a good way of putting it. Um, and yeah, like, and I think it uses the license well, like the cards have like a nice flavor to them. I was and gonna say, how's the art? Yeah, the art's nice across the board. It's pretty damn good. Like, and, and you have like, the cards kind of do what you would expect them to do. Like, you know, you buy the big jab of the hut card and he can buy a load of bounty hunters and then you can buy bounty hunters, which will not be so good at attacking the other player, but really good at killing who needs to get killed. Um, it's it's <laughs> How yeah, sweet. Did you, did you learn anything about, as someone who doesn't like Star Wars, did you learn anything about Star Wars? Uh, no. Uh, oh, nothing at all. You can see that I've continued to, you know, rely on the tentpole Star Wars characters who I know from from movies <laughs> one, two, and three. But hold on, movies one, two, and three aren't. Never Four, mind. Five, six. Four, five, and six. Exactly. I knew uh, Princess Leia, Johan Solos. I knew the droid, the droid, the robot guy. <laughs> yeah, the one robot in Star Wars. No, yeah. there's. I know C three PO and I know R two D two, but I knew. Quinn's the droid who has the long head. Oh, I think he was Mr. in Longhead. Rogue One. Oh, Longhead, that's the one. Yeah, Daddy Cylinder. One. Yeah, I just remember very fondly. Like, I want more Gonk Droid representation because <laughs> when I, me and my friends used to play uh, the PlayStation Two game Lego Star Wars, and you could pick as your character a Gonk Droid, which is basically a little tiny trash can on legs, and we would infuriate each other by just being a Gonk Droid and walking very, very slowly behind the main character. <laughs> Good How times. Did, uh, how? Does this have... Um, Gonk droids? No. I was going to say, does this have like expansions clearly destined for it? This says, on Wikipedia, it says, what does a gonk droid do when you search gonk droid? It says, why do gonk droids say gonk? And is a gonk droid powerful? <laughs> question mark. And what does gonk stand for? Wait, this is all on Wikipedia? <laughs> no, it's on Wikipedia, the Star Wars oh, fandom. okay. <laughs> right. I thought it was weird to have Wikipedia be like, what is a gonk droid for? Like, anyway, listen, Quinn's like, enough of this distraction. We need to get back on track. Um, yeah, is it destined for expansions? Yeah, there's room in the box for them, duh. Uh, oh. Maybe. I don't know. Probably. Uh, there's, I mean, there's an advert for an expansion to another Star Wars game in the box. Uh, so presumably, <laughs> they're going to add more stuff, more cards, more things you can do. Maybe another track that's like the Force, but evil. The gonk track. The gonk track. Exactly. How close are you to getting gonked? Okay, well, the, honestly, you came, you started the segment being like, I don't know, if you like Star Wars, you could get this. Sounds like, Tom, sounds like you're pretty hot on this. You're pretty sweet on Star Wars, the deck building game. So now, with that in mind, who should get it? Start people who like Star Wars and people who are relatively new to games, I think. I think that's a good combination because I think for my tastes, I would still ultimately rather play something crunchier. I don't think this game's going to stay in my collection, but... 
I'm going to be happy to give it to someone who's like, hey, I'm kind of interested in these board games. Kind of interested in these in in these Dude, tabletop that's games. That's like the main the main thing we get asked. Yeah. So it sounds to me like the Star Wars the deck building game is probably a good gift. Yeah. I think it's a, a really solid little Star Wars. For game. the Gonk Droid fan in your life, <laughs> get the Star Wars deck builder. Or don't. There's no gonks in it. Tom, I'm I'm at the end of this podcast, as we wrap it up, and rain falls gently on my twixt my office window. That's not what twixt means. <laughs> I'm still a bit sad, but I am less sad than I was when we started this podcast. That's really fun. good. I'm so I'm so happy for you. I'm more sad. Um, I think there's over? been there's been some kind of you know vampiric energy transfer that's happened. Um, yeah, I'm looking out my window, and it looks you know I'm not there's not enough rain out there really. No, no, it's it's just kind of gentle. I, I'm actually in a cloud because I'm quite high up on my. Oh my yeah, so you are. No, being in a cloud, like I know that it sounds like all ivory tower to talk about being in a cloud, but it kind of sucks, dude, because <laughs> it means that the windows look like a, a PC screen that hasn't booted. Yeah, because I like, feel oh, so yeah. sorry for you. I Why, feel so like, sorry uh, if for you. Being up in a cloud is not a desirable status. It's been like lionized by, you know, pop songs and stuff. Yeah. Like if you really think about it, being in a cloud is just like being in a fog, but more dangerous. <laughs> Clouds are just bad fog. Wait, oh, they're not Clouds bad are... fog. They're just high fog. Yeah. But you know, you you only feel softly towards clouds because you're not in them all the time. When you're in them, they suck. Yeah, they're up fog. Um, up fog. Not, <laughs> not much. Wait, hold on. Not much, buddy. How about you? Yeah. Christ. Um, thanks for listening to the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, everybody. We'll be back in a week with some more board games that were almost good enough to do video reviews on, but not quite. It's like Updog. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. <laughs>